Church family, if you would, open up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. And uh, this morning, we are going to finish our fall series on the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most important sermon uh, ever preached or delivered. Uh, and uh, but we will, then we will make a transition next week uh, into uh, celebrating Christmas and anticipating uh, the birth of Christ as we celebrate Advent. Um, let me just say uh, this in, in a spirit of thanksgiving. I don't know if he's in this service or not. He was in the first one. But uh, I want to just say, uh, number one, thank you, church family, for what you guys did this past week on Monday. Uh, you showed up in, in great numbers uh, to serve the people in our community, to give away uh, lots of goodies and lots of things. And we are so very, very thankful for those of you that were able to, to come and attend uh, and those who were able to give uh, towards that. Uh, but I just want to brag on Anthony Galata. Uh, I don't know if he's in here or not. I can't see. But uh, just an incredible job, uh, incredible leadership, such a heart for our community uh, and, and service-oriented uh, and minded. I know he has a great team that's around him as well. Uh, but I'm so thankful that he's here and a part of our church and doing the work uh, that he's doing. Uh, and I just want to say publicly thanks to him. This past uh, Thanksgiving, we uh, got home, and uh, on Friday, we were at my, my family's house out in East Texas, and uh, we were talking in the living room, and uh, my dad turned on the television, and then we, uh, he, he turns to his favorite news show, and uh, we find it that all of a sudden, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is the uh, 30 uh, most important stocks, really, within the stock market, it had, it had gone down like 900 points. And, and so we kind of looked at each other and we were like, 900 points, that's, that's important, uh, that's pretty monumental, that's pretty significant. Uh, and especially these days as my dad gets older and nearing the age of retirement, uh, it is deeply significant. And uh, we sort of look at each other and we're like, what, what's happening and what's going on? And then the, the broadcaster then proceeded to uh, explain the reason for the dip of 900 points was because of a new variant of, of COVID that was sort of on the loose. And, and so it had sort of caused investors to, to get spooked. And we sort of just looked at each other and had this moment where we were like, man, um, maybe the, the news broadcasters, maybe there's a better way to say that and to talk about these things so that we're not necessarily trying to scare people uh, and, and make people afraid. And that's not a political statement, it's just a wisdom statement that what we say and how we say it, it, it deeply matters and it's important. There's wisdom in what we say and also how we go about saying things. And there's a foolish way. Well, you know, Jesus talks about and he ends his sermon talking about the wise and talking about the foolish. And talking about to, to God's people delivering this message of redemption, that there's a, a way and a means by which we are to build our lives around and on, and there's a way and means in which we should not build our lives around and on. And he calls the, the latter the fools, and the former, he calls them people with great wisdom. And so we finish Jesus' sermon, and he concludes by reminding God's people of a couple of things. And so if you would, read along with me as I read verses 24 through 29, and where Jesus concludes, and he says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus calls the man who builds on the rock wise. The man who builds on the sand, he says, are fools. When we look at wisdom throughout the scriptures, we can just define wisdom in very simplistic terms and just say this, that wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective and then act accordingly. It's understanding what it is that God says and what it is that he wants and then mirroring my life around that wisdom, around that knowledge and acting upon the very thing that I say that I believe. Living my life out on the terms of how the Bible would define wisdom, understanding wisdom, understanding God's word, and then walking in faithfulness and walking in obedience in response to it. You see, every time the the scripture speaks wisdom into our life, God is demanding a response from his people. And we respond, whether we realize it or not, we respond intuitively, we, we respond sometimes in acts of disobedience, but what God is saying to us as he speaks his word is that he wants us to respond to it. Sometimes we respond to what God has said in, in, in sin and, and with foolishness. Sometimes we respond in wisdom and obedience and faithfulness. But the ability to see things from God's perspective and then act accordingly, I want you to notice in verse 24, When Jesus speaks to the crowds, as his spirit speaks to us today, notice the first word that he begins in verse 24. He says, everyone, all people, this is applicable to. Every human being made in his image, every single person who hears these words that I just proclaim and does them will be wise and will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. This teaches us, first and foremost, that our lives should be built upon the foundation of the word of God. That everything that we do and say, everything that we think and and believe, that all of those things are, are rooted and built up on the foundation that we believe that this scripture is the word of God and that God has spoken to us. And given us revelation, not supernaturally in the sense that he, he speaks in a mystic way, but, but he has revealed his will to us today through his scripture. And so that we can know the heart of God and the things that God is passionate about and wants us to do, we know those things affirmatively because we have the word of God. And we hold as a, as a church that we believe that this word of God is without error. We believe that it's authoritative on our life, that it's binding. That when God says things, that we believe that it really is him saying these things because he has spoken it to us through his word. And we believe that this word will never, absolutely ever, lead us astray. That it is everything that we need in this life to sustain us and to move us forward as his people. And so Jesus says, the man who builds his life on the foundation of his word, of my word, will be 
wise. It means how we pursue the idea of one of our core values is just simply being biblically faithful. The only way to be biblically faithful is to know what the Bible says. And so our aim is to always be as faithful as we can to this text as delivered to us and to walk in a, in a spirit that demonstrates that our lives reveal what it is that this word is saying. And we live it out through our words and our actions and our deeds, but our lives should be built on the foundation of the word. Notice with me in verse 24 and 25 in the beginning, he says, Everyone, all who hear these words and does them is like the wise man. And the rain comes and it falls and the floods come and the winds blow and they beat on the house. But the house did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. It had a good foundation. It had a good core. We know the word and obey the word and we are therefore employed to be wise with the word. Years ago, back in our old neighborhood in Midlothian, Texas, we, we bought a, a 1974 ranch-style home, and it, it came with all the quirks of living in an older home, and we had to remodel it and do all these things to it. And we get in, and about a year after we had moved in, it had been painted, windows changed, like everything was, was redone. But after a while, I began to notice there were some cracks in my sheetrock. And I began to see those, those cracks appear. And so they appeared in places that I didn't want to necessarily look at every time I walked into the house. And so what I did was I did what any person would do, sane person. I didn't call the foundation repair company. I just bought some plaster and started to patch over the crack. And I retextured it and I, and I painted it. And it was good for a period of about six months. And then all of a sudden, those cracks began to emerge, and, and those cracks began to reappear again because I had problems at the core of my foundation. You see, where my house was, it was built on this hardened clay that's only found in Midlothian of all places. And one day, I was lamenting to my neighbor two houses up the road, and he said, well, you shouldn't have bought a house that was built on clay. And I said, thanks for that novel advice. I appreciate it. I really wish I wouldn't have either. He said, my house that I've lived in for 40 years, it's built on a rock. And my house doesn't have foundation problems. Well, you know, our lives are, are that way. When we build our lives around anything that is not rooted foundationally in the word of God, over time, cracks will begin to appear. And we can paint over them and we can patch them and we can try to mend them. But if we don't deal with the core beliefs, the, the bottom line, the foundation, those cracks are going to always return over and over and over again. The reason why this sanctuary stands today is because the foundation is secure. The reason why buildings A and B lasted as long as they did was because the foundation was good. It was solid. Over the past couple of weeks, I'll just bring my laptop over here and I'll sit on these stairs and I would just watch those excavators just do their thing over and over and over again. And then you see them as the building begins to, to fall down. You see how deep the foundation was and how large the foundation was and how it's the thing that sort of has slowed them down, if you will, in the process is because those buildings had a solid foundation. They were built up in the right way and, and with the right things. And Jesus says that to be wise, that I must build my life up around the word and to know the word and that I must obey the word. But then he gives the warning to the fool. 
Look in verse 26. He says, And everyone who hears these words and does them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms of life come, when the hard times come, when the obstacles come your way, because they will for every single one, that house blows away and it falls down. We can know the word and disobey the word, and then Jesus says we are fools because of it. We're fools. Several weeks ago, Haley and I, or I was trying to get a jump start on Christmas decorating. And so I had my helper out there with me, Hadley, and so we were up and we were hanging lights on the porch and we got probably 50 lights up on the side of the porch and then all of a sudden I had one light that sort of dropped down and then all of a sudden within two hours of work, within 30 seconds, I watched as all 50 of the lights that I'd hung on the porch just fell down in rapid succession. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, just leave it out there, we're not even going to mess with it again. And so we walked away. Well, I was trying to prepare for the day after Thanksgiving because that's traditionally when we will come home and we'll go buy a Christmas tree and I'll put up lights and we'll do our thing. We watch uh, Elf, the movie, and put on our Christmas music and that's just our, that's our thing to do. And so we went and got the tree yesterday morning and then, uh, then I went back outside and began to work on, on the lights of my house. And so uh, I told Haley before I started, I said, I want to be done by 4 o'clock and then I want to sort of eat dinner and wind down and get ready for Sunday. Well, we, we started off and we, we got the first string or two strings of lights on and then I went to tie in the other string. And you know if you've hung lights before, you can only hang like four or five lights connected or you'll blow a fuse and all this stuff happens. Well, you learn this through experience, right? It's the dad life when you have to hang lights on your house. And I hung the first two or three sets and then I go and Hadley's out there helping me and then we, we keep going again and again and we, we hang the, the other half. And, and we're four hours in. I'm going, we're right on time. This is exactly, precisely what I thought was going to happen. And we get all the way to the very end. And I go to plug in my lights. And now I, I'd already plugged them in and made sure that they work. But I go to plug in my lights and I realize that I have the, the female end instead of the male end of the light plug. Forty feet down that direction, I've realized that three hours worth of work and I have hung the lights in the wrong direction. And I look at Hadley and I say, that's it. we got to take them down. She looked at me and she said, are you kidding? She said, you would have thought that you would have looked at that before we did all that. And I said, well, darling, I don't know who's in charge of this, but I'd fire them in a heartbeat if that was the case. So down the lights go, we flipped them around and we hung them back up and it was eight and a half hours into my day, 6.30 at night, two and a half hours later, but the lights got hung. And the whole time we were taking those lights down, I just kept thinking in my head, you know, you are teaching tomorrow on the wise and the fool, and what a fool you are. And the Lord has a way of, of reminding us of those things from time to time, doesn't he? That all I had to do was just pay close attention for just a split second and I would have saved two and a half to three hours worth of work and, and labor, but I didn't and thought that I would do it my own way and not pay attention and not be careful and paid the price because of it. But I want you to notice as Jesus rails on the fool and he talks about the wise, I want you to notice what happens in verses 28 and 29 towards the very end. 
Jesus finishes his last word, the great fall of it in 27, and then it says this, and when Jesus finished these sayings, it says the crowds were astonished. They were amazed at his teaching. They were overwhelmed by what he had said. They stood in awe at the words that he had just spoken throughout this sermon. They were amazed by it. I fear that in today's world, sometimes we have lost that amazement. We have lost the astonishment of coming before God in his word and just letting the word be enough. If we stripped down everything in this room, took the lights away, the screens away, the instruments away, would God's word be enough to sustain us? It's a rhetorical question, and we love the lights, and we love the music, and the forms, and the function, and all those kind of things, but, but is the word enough for us this morning? For the crowd that hears Jesus' word, it says they were astonished. They were amazed at what he was saying. I don't know about you, but there's times when I come before God and his word, and I'm, I don't feel astonished. I don't feel amazed. But this prayer, that, that, that this posture that these people take before the Lord, that I, that I want to perpetually come before him, and Lord, I want to be astonished at what you are saying to me. I want to be renewed at, at what hope you're giving me. I want my heart to change, my mind to change, because I believe that these very words that I read, these are life-giving words to me. The words of Jesus are always astonishing to his people. But notice what he says in 29, for his teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. His words carry with it great authority. Do you know that every small group leader, every elder, every teacher, every staff member that stands before you and opens up God's word, they don't stand on their own authority. That the only authority that we have, relatively speaking, is the authority that comes from believing the Bible is the word of God. And so we stand, not on our own authority, but we stand on the authority that the word of God has given us. And we, it speaks to us and, and it changes us. He spoke as one who had authority because he was the ultimate authority. Because the people believed it and they knew it and, and they held his word up high and they, they clung to it. They were astonished by it at the confidence and the manner in which he delivered and which he taught. And he finished these things. They were astonished because he taught as one who had authority. Out and absent of the Bible, there is no authority in anyone's life. No teacher can stand before you, no, no preacher, no elder, no staff. The authority that is garnered is the authority in which we humble ourselves underneath God's word and then we speak it faithfully and truthfully and with sincerity. Several weeks ago, Haley asked me a question. We were talking about Advent and Christmas season, and we were talking about uh, decorating the sanctuary and planning all that stuff out. And she, she asked me the question, and I knew uh, that the way she asked it, I probably didn't know the answer to it. But she said, do you know the significance of the evergreen and the garland? 
And I kind of was like, I'm not sure. I remember. I'm sure I've heard it at one point. And, and she said this. She, I'm paraphrasing her just a little bit. But she said this. The reason why Christians hang garland and evergreen in places like this, it's not because of sentimentality. It's not just because of, of decorating. It's not just because it's the thing that we've always done. But that garland, that evergreen that gets hung up on there, there's a connection all the way back into the book of Hosea. Where Hosea is, is talking on behalf of the Lord, and the Lord God says this, I will be like a tree that is always green, that never withers and never changes. And so when we hang green, and the hanging of the greens, and the evergreen, and the garland, what that garland is meant to point us to this Advent season as we anticipate the birth of Christ, that it is a, an arrow that shoots directly to the triune God. The fact that he never changes. He never withers away. He doesn't get old, and, and he doesn't get tired, but he is always was, and he always is, and always will be. He's the Alpha and He's the Omega. And so we look to that greenery, not for sentimentality, but we look to it as an indicator pointing us to the triune God that He never changes. And all these next few weeks and months, this greenery will always still be green, pointing to the fact of our unchanging God. When culture changes, and politicians change, and buildings change, God never changes. Why? Because He is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. And He is immovable. And He is unshakable. This is the hope that we have as His people this season. He is our cornerstone. He is my cornerstone. He is your foundation. He is my foundation. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that in Christ we can have new life. We thank you for this Thanksgiving season, but also this Christmas season as we look forward and anticipate your birth. And so, Father, may we be a people that revel in that anticipation that we revel in the, in the fact that we long for you to, to even come back and, and to take us to be with you. But Father, until then, we are grateful for your spirit that you've given us to, to worship with us and to be with us and that we can sense you in this room, in this place, on this campus. And so Father, I ask that if there's anyone here today that is building their life or has built their life on anything other than you. I pray that today they would give their heart to you. I pray that today they would cast those idols aside and be renewed by your spirit and be changed. So Father, would you inhabit our praises? Would you hear our hearts and our cries today? And for I pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said.